All right, everybody. My name is Jim Jansen. Welcome to the Equip Cast. I am really excited to share with you our uh, conversation today with Dave Harvey. Uh, Dave founded a ministry called Least of My Brethren. Uh, you're going to love this conversation. Dave. Dave's an ordinary guy who took just a first step into caring for Jesus, hiding in the poor. You're going to hear just the amazing things that have happened as the ministry has grown, as other people have gotten involved, uh, as lives have been changed. You're going to hear very tangibly uh, how deeply impacted people have been with love. But I think even more than that, you're going to hear stories of just how relationship, getting in another person's life, even if that person happens to be poor or homeless makes all the difference. You're going to love uh, our conversation today. Excited to uh, get started. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Dave Harvey. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, actually. I'm uh, I'm good. I'm looking forward to today, so I'm enjoying this. So, Dave, you we were talking a little bit before the episode. You know, we first got connected. Uh, I had heard about your work with Least of My Brethren. Uh, and loved the story as I heard it. And then as we started to talk before the show, I, I started to hear more of your stories. So I want to jump right in. Dave, tell us a little bit about your your faith journey. Like, you know, where'd you first kind of get to know Jesus? Uh, what's your day job? Who, who's Dave Harvey? Okay, pretty simple, uh, pretty easy. I uh, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. I went to Catholic school, St. John, and then St. Uh, St. Teresa's there. And funny thing is, is as a Catholic student, I really didn't know my faith much, to be honest with you. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until I became a young adult and I started picking up the Bible on my own. It wasn't a forced march. I just wanted to, there's things I was hearing. I just wanted to learn more about it. And and I was just really struck by this whole concept of a covenant. And I was getting ready to get married and, and I'm thinking more and more about it. And on the night before we got married, I remember going back after rehearsal and and I made a covenant with the Lord. I'm deep in prayer. And I just asked for uh, the Lord to uh, to promise and protect my marriage and to keep Cheryl safe and healthy. And, and in return, you know, I'll stay devoted and faithful to the marriage. And that was my first time ever doing something like that. And, wow. and it really captivated me. And I felt great that night. And I felt, of course, good the next day. And it just <laughs> yeah. kind of took off from there and went. And uh, that's, uh, that's kind of how I got introduced uh, uh, into a deeper faith beyond where I began learning about it in school. Gosh, that's that's awesome. I love that. You know, as Catholics, we don't use that language, but you're basically like giving your life to to Jesus. It's uh yeah. you had a little altar call there the night before your wedding. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was. And to be honest with you, there's parts of me that wanted to make sure I really understood what I was doing because I also understood that breaking a covenant could be disastrous. I truly understood that. And uh, it was one of the things that kept me very focused and uh, wanted to make this thing. And 40 years later, you know, we're still going at, we're still going strong in the marriage. So hopefully we both lived up to our ends of the covenant. That's fantastic. Congratulations. 40 Thanks. years, just yeah. celebrated 20 myself. So yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Now, Dave, Lisa, my brethren, has become a huge, huge, but significant sized operation. It could be a job, but it's not really your day job. What do you just, what do you do by day? (laughs) Yeah, funny thing you say that. Uh, It's not the day job for anybody. Uh, We're 100% volunteers. Uh, We have no staff. And uh, I work, uh, I I used to work at IBM. I spent 31 years there and retired a couple of years ago. I work for a small tech company called Insono. 
Um, they're out of Chicago, but they've got a big presence here in the, in the Omaha area. And I do that. But the nice thing I love about uh, both those jobs is they really afforded me a lot of flexibility. I can do the things I need to do for the ministry and, and they're okay with it, which is really great. Occasionally I need to take off on a Friday in midday because there's somebody living outside that needs some help and I might be at work, but they're okay with it. And so that's, it works out awesome. really, really wonderful. So I, uh, I have a full-time job, but uh, this other one is pretty much my part-time job. It's, uh, it's 30 hours or so a week, and it's about all I do anymore. I've given up my fishing, my hunting, my woodworking, but everything else I do. And if it's not work or my family, it's this. So it it's, uh, takes a lot, but it's we're just doing really well. So we love it. So give us like the thumbnail sketch of what Least of My Brethren is. And then tell us how you got started. Well, you know, funny thing is, is how we got started is nowhere near what it is today. You know, we we're constantly listening and sometimes we're deep into prayer and we understand and, and hear different things. And so we evolve. So we're, what we're doing today is nowhere near how we started. So our goal, if you would say it this way, our goal is really to try to find those that are outside or living in a car or an abandoned building, mm-hmm. trying to help them get to a place where they can sustain themselves long-term for a, a better life. And it would be easy yeah. to simply give them food or give them clothing and walk away and be done with it. But we want more than that. And so we start with, with food and clothing, but then we evolve into tents and sleeping bags. I don't want them to stay outside, but again, yeah. I don't want them to be cold and wet and freezing either. So we, we give them the things to sustain them at the time and we're back all the time. So we bring food, we bring blessing mm-hmm. bags all the time. And once the, they start to trust us and they begin to, to kind of come around, we begin to get bicycles to them. And the whole goal of the bicycle is to get them transportation. So hopefully they'll look for work. Yeah. Uh, we, we give them haircuts to get ready for work. We get them ready, you know, with different clothing and sometimes help them clean up a little bit. We get them re- bags of recyclable cans that they could turn in for money so that they can pay for things and get going. We were there for the commitment that says, once you get on your feet and you're committed to kind of moving things around, we will work with uh, the other agencies, Heartland Family Services, Together Inc., Community Alliance, all of those to get you into a place. We will fully furnish it for you, 100%. Everything for the bed, the furniture, the kitchenware, everything. And the whole goal is, is to try to get them a place that they are happy. It feels good. They have a source of pride and they want to work hard to stay. And that's the difference for us right there. Mm. They, a lot of other people used to you know, help out with just furniture and then they'd walk away. And the reality is, is that that may not be enough. And, and prior to furniture, people were living on the floor in a, with their sleeping bag, because that's all they had is a backpack and a sleeping bag, and they were living on the floor in an apartment, and they were getting bored, and after a while, a few weeks, they got to go back out and reminisce with old friends, get themselves mm-hmm. in trouble again, old temptation, they were evicted. So we're trying to change that for them. So the whole goal here isn't to be a bicycle ministry or to be in a food ministry or a clothing ministry. It's not even to be a furniture ministry. It is how do we help them through that whole journey, you know, if you will, to get them to a place where they're saying, my life is now wonderful and I'm going to work hard to keep it this way. That's what we're after. I love I love that because I think, I mean, just as you share some of the anecdotes of what you do, I'm struck by this beautiful incremental, we start with food and clothing, and then we're just slowly kind of working up the hierarchy of needs. I mean, even just the, the bicycle, I think for those of us who have never been homeless, which I think is probably the vast majority of our audience, we've never done a survey, the thought of like, oh, getting yourself from A to B. I mean, I remember hearing, you know, it's like, what job application doesn't require right. you to write down an, an address? 
What do you do when you're homeless and you don't have an address? Yeah, a lot of them will put the address appeal box out of one of the shelters. And the shelters are really good about kind of holding things for them. They come by and get things. But but you're right. That's a challenge. Now, one of the ladies we met down on the riverfront, my wife began to talk with her and it was really cool. She was saying, you know, I struggle because every place I go in and I apply for a job, my face is full of soot because I sit around a campfire all night to stay warm. Yeah. And, and it's like, we, it didn't even dawn on us. So how can we get you baby wipes to clean up? And my wife began to get these little makeup compact things to kind of do things with, you know, with getting yourself ready and things I yeah. had never even considered, but they, they all evolved for us. And, and now they're part of everything we do. But at the time, every one of those was an incremental step that we had never considered until somebody told us of a need. Wow. Dave, take us back to the beginning. Like, how did this first get started? Right. This is not this is not what you set out to do. It wasn't. I mean, it just kind of like you said, it just evolved. How, how did it begin? Yeah, good question. Uh, going back to maybe 20 years ago, I started doing this thing called Winter Night Watch with Salvation Army. Great group. Uh, they deliver food and clothing outside um, in different trucks uh, throughout the winter. And one night I was out there and handing out bags of uh, food and handing out blankets. And a lady came up and uh, she uh, she asked for a blanket. And we had to tell her, you know, we're out of blankets right now, but we still have a hot meal. And she's just started to cry and we knew something was wrong. So kind of took her aside. And, and uh, you know, Kelly told us at, at the time, she said, you know, I, I didn't expect to be here, but things have changed in my job. They cut my hours back after Christmas time. I missed a rent payment and my, my landlord has put a lock on our door and he's evicted us. So, he's, so she said, I took my last $30. I went down to Goodwill. I bought a tent. I'm living along the riverfront. And she says, it's really cold. So I went home and my wife was gone, but I, I just kind of rummaged through the house and I grabbed everything. I grabbed sleeping bags. We, we tent a lot. So I grabbed all of our sleeping bags. I figured mm -hmm. I could replace them. So I grabbed sleeping bags and blankets and foam uh, mattresses, everything I could find. And I, I just shoved my car full of, and I go driving down and I'm on first and Hickory. I'm on a levee down there and there's no lights. And there's parts of me. And by the way, I'll tell you, I say the St. Michael, the Archangel prayer to look after me nearly every day based on where I go sometimes. And it's like, I always need this. So I was resting assured that I was pretty safe. I was going to be okay. But I'm sitting down there and I realized I hadn't told my wife. So I called and I left a message and I said, you know, I'm going to be a little bit late. I meet some homeless people down along the river. Don't wait up for me. I'll tell you about it later. And I hung up and I realized. <laughs> Which just is gonna... what, yeah, what every wife wants to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, she's going to kill me. <laughs> it's like, um, but, uh, but I was okay. You know, so I go down there, Kelly was there and um, we took some things. She was a little standoffish, a little worried, which I get it. It was nighttime. It's her camp. I'm there. I'm a guy. I get it. She was a little protective. Um, so I started figuring some things out and I brought my wife down. That's why her and I started going down and I began mm -hmm. to see a change in her because I had my wife with me. Next thing you know, that's how we learned. We started learning about how they use their tarps, you know, how they stay, mm -hmm. on, you know, invisible, if you will. So people aren't seeing them. We started learning things. And then they started introducing us to everybody else. And, you know, probably a year later, she was, she had full-time work. We'd given her bikes. She was pedaling all the way out to Old Mill from the first in Hickory, all the way out to Old Mill for work every day, which is just a fabulous thing. She saved wow. up enough money and she says, I don't have anything. And Cheryl and I went home and we called everybody. We called our family, our friends, our neighbors, who's got a bed, who's got a dresser. And we rented a U-Haul and we went, we moved her in. Well, next thing you know, a bunch of people that we were talking with along the river that we had met said, Hey, I heard what you did with her, Kelly. Can you help us out as well? It just kind of grew from there. That's how it started. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I think there's got to be some people who are who are listening who are, are wondering, it's like, what's the role? Again, you mentioned some of the shelters, but what's the role of, of shelters? Why would someone mm. in January in Nebraska yep. go camp along the river when they could maybe go to a shelter? 
Yeah, great question. And I didn't know that either, but I began to figure it out really quick. So first off, the shelters are unisex. That's the first thing. So if you are a man and a woman, and you don't want to split apart, you can't go to the shelter. Ah. So that's the first part. Uh, so so they've got to, they either live in a car, in a building. We've, we've come across some of them that are in abandoned buildings because they want to stay together. Uh, we've got others that they're tired of the shelters. They use the shelters. They'll go there and they'll get food during the day. They'll take a shower, but they go back outside to sleep at night. One of the things that struggles with them, they struggle with is they go to the shelters, they take a shower, something like that, and their backpack is gone, which is their ID. Without an ID, you can't get work anymore. I mean, it's yeah. things like that. So it's just a struggle. So people say, I kind of avoid the shelter sometimes. Now, keep in mind, the shelters are fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. I love Open Door, Sienna, Stephen Center, Mom's Place, you know, and, right. and Micah House, all of them. I love them to, to pieces. And a lot of the people there, we, we help all the time. But there's that small percentage of them that says, I just don't want to. And sometimes they're from the military. They're, they've got an independent lifestyle. They know how to live outside and they're okay with that. And, and they just don't want all the, you know, they call it the craziness. Sure. Because there is a communal life in the shelters, yeah. which that's a challenge. Yeah. Dave, I remember as, as we were talking here before we got, got started, I remember you saying, talking about how much you learned about the, the people, just the, like what, what meeting individual homeless people taught you. Talk a little bit more about that. What are homeless people like? Good question. Um, I would tell you that generally speaking, there's a lot of addiction. Mm. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs. And sometimes to feed that addiction, it's uh, it's a lifestyle that says I've got to steal or things like that in order to feed that lifestyle. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some mental mental uh, challenges for sure, uh, some mental disabilities. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not equipped. I'm not trained. I don't know how to work with that part of it real well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, there's a lot of that that's out there. I, I, one of the things that amazed me the most is to learn how many people became homeless as a result of a work injury. I w- I have been overwhelmed by that. In other words, mm-hmm. they fell off a ladder, broke a leg, couldn't work. They got laid off. You know, there, there's no job guarantee for them in some of this work. No job guarantees. You know, they couldn't pay their bills and were outside. So I, I come across that a lot. Um, so sometimes it is just listening, just understanding. Everyone's got a story to tell and everyone's got a cross to bear. And um, it, we all talk about our own burns, but there are so many burns that are out there that just put mine to shame. Other, there's a lot of abuse that has happened in someone's life and a lot of distrust. And sometimes it's hard to turn that around and get someone to trust you. But I will je- tell you, generally speaking, aside from a lot of that, uh, there's a lot of really wonderful people who look forward to seeing you, are looking forward to every week when you're around. Uh, they know you by name. They will, they'll pedal fast from two blocks away because they see you coming and they want to hmm. be there. Uh, they're just great people. I, I think that sometimes we don't see them the way that uh, uh, maybe the Lord sees them. And uh, we have a tendency to look away sometimes. And I think one of the, my greatest challenges over the course of this is how do I begin seeing people a little bit differently? It's been, it's been something that's been an eye opener for me. And once I did, once I started that, I, uh, I began to realize they're just like my neighbor. They're just like my kids. Any mm-hmm. one of these could be my daughter. Yeah. You know, when you say that, that really, that really resonates with, with my experience. A couple of years ago, I've been blessed numerous times now uh, to go down to Mexico City, work yeah. with a uh, ministry called Hope of the Poor. I know you're, know you're familiar yeah. with yeah. Uh, Craig and Danny. They've been guests on the, yeah. on the podcast. And, you know, when I went down there, uh, they do a lot of work with uh, street kids, you know, kids that live, live on the street and there's addictions and abuse. But beyond that, what was clear is like, they were just ordinary teenagers. Yeah. You know, they were just, they were just kids, kids having a hard time. 
And I remember, again, you know, various degrees of, of addiction, some that had been kind of miraculously cured of that. But I remember coming down the last night, we were hanging out with them, we were together, and there were two extremely striking instances. One of the kids had been bit by a dog because there's a lot of dogs on the street. And so we went you know, down to the Mexican equivalent of, of Walgreens, grabbed a bunch of stuff, and we came back thinking that we were going to be dressing uh, this this young man's wounds. Ooh. And I, I don't remember, we set the stuff down, we got distracted, we kind of turned around, we were attending to something else. And as we turned back around, the kids had grabbed the stuff and had begun to dress his wound themselves. Because they had become they had become a family, and they were just immediately. You know, one of the big kids was sitting on his arm, uh, so you know, so he couldn't squirm away. And they were they were cleaning his wound, and it was clear to see this beautiful compassion and even dare I say this kind of family dynamic <sighs> develop. Um, and then I, and then at the end of the night, I was really struck. You know, we're, we're sitting with them and we're having, you know, we're having tacos and we're talking. And as we're getting ready to leave, we're walking to the car. They stand up. And as a group, they escort us to the car because even though they were homeless, right, it was this beautiful hospitality, like, thank you for coming to visit. And they like, they saw us to, to the car and it was just so striking to me. I can't even quite put into words other than like the, the, the care for each other and the hospitality, even in great need and addiction and confusion, it very, it very, very quickly humanized uh, the poor for me. You know, it's interesting you say that. I don't know if it's appropriate here, but I, I have a similar story that's just that's uh, that I'd love to share okay, if I can. Seven, eight years or so ago, it was it was like one, it was either Christmas Eve or the night before. And, and I remember standing in my window, I'm in the warmth of my house and and I'm looking out the window and it's just blustery outside. It's like minus 10 with wind chill and there's probably eight to 10 inches of snow. And my, my mind's just going to Mark and three other guys that are that are sharing a tent along that river or excuse me, around the ra- railroad tracks over Council Bluffs. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I'm just, I'm just fretting about this thinking that uh, I've grown real close to them. I know them every week. It's like, I, I just don't want anything that bad to happen to them. So I grab a, a propane uh, heater and a couple of bricks kind of get it off the ground so it doesn't burn the fabric in the tent. And I go drive it out there. And this, and you know, Christmas time, it's dark at 530 and I'm out there at nine mm-hmm. o'clock and you know, I've got to walk the equivalent of about a football field, probably hundred yards or so from the road to get there. And I don't see any tracks in the, in the snow. And that's got me worried. You know, it's like, Oh no, they're not mobile. They're not out and about. And, uh, and I don't see the fire pit, you know, the fire going and And uh, so I'm really worried. And, and, uh, and I get back in and I'm calling out and no one's saying anything. And I kept calling pretty soon. I shake the tent and, you know, somebody rumbles and says something and they're all like huddled down under 20 layers of blankets. And, but I was so glad they were there. So anyway, I set up the heater and I get it going. They're like, kids in a candy store, you know, they're giggly, mm-hmm. they're sitting up, they're laughing, they're having fun now. It's like, they're just joyful again. And I start making my trek back and I'm across the railroad tracks and I catch a glimpse of this, you know, on the le- on the side of me and I catch a glimpse and Mark is sitting out there al- alongside the, the end of the tree line. And I yell over at him, is everything okay? Did I miss something? And, you know, he responds back to me. I'm just watching out for you to make sure no one jacks with you. Hmm. And I'm like, really? I'm, I, you know, I mean, you know, I'm tearing up, walking back to the car thinking, here I am worried about them. Mm-hmm. And here's a homeless man sitting outside that'll get bundled up to go outside in minus 10 to make sure that I make it to my car. Okay. Much like, much like yours, you yeah. know, made a line in a procession for you to get to your car. 
he wanted to make sure I was okay, much like yours did. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't think people see homeless like that. They just don't see them. And yet they could be very caring, very, very loving people. We just sometimes don't give them the chance. As you say that, I'm, I'm drawn back to, to a story. You know, the Lord, I think all of us, I mean, you can't be Catholic for long, right? And not have heard Matthew 25. Sure. You know, what you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. Pretty sure that's where your name came from. 2540. Yep. I think we sometimes miss the gift that the poor are to us. Again, a, a story I was very grateful. It happened here. Uh, Cardinal uh, O'Malley tell a story mm-hmm. about St. Francis. Um, and talks about, you know, most people don't know that they, when they know St. Francis, they think about like St. Francis, you know, animals and stigmata and loved the poor. But what we forget is like he was a rich suburbanite kid. You know, he, he, he grew up uh, and he had actually a, uh, an aversion to the poor. In particular, he was terrified of lepers. Understandably so, right? It's just terribly communicable, communicable okay. disease. There's no cure for it. And as the Lord was working on his heart, Francis was divided. You know, it's his, his wealth and his influence and his love for the poor. And he's wrestling back and forth. And there's these, these lepers that he's just terrified of. And as the story goes, one day he's given this grace when instead of running and turning and going the other way, he runs up to this leper, embraces him and gives him his cloak. And then he, and then he walks away. And it is shortly thereafter that his kind of dramatic conversion story where he just kind of turns on a dime and totally turns away from, from wealth. That's, that's where this, you know, this, where this happens uh, to Francis just, just a little bit later. As the Cardinal told the story, he said, now, let's just be clear. I tell this story not because St. Francis healed the leper. I tell the story because the leper healed Francis, that it was Jesus hiding in the poor, in the leper, that finally gave Francis the grace to break the chains of wealth and comfort that were really enslaving him. I mean, were it not for that leper, there's no St. Francis. Oh my! That, I had never heard that part of the story. I never heard that. That's wonderful. Yeah, I had not. I not either. And I think it, it confirms. I mean, that has been my experience as well. You know, I mean, most of our listeners know I did college ministry for many years, and man, there were kids that were really hard to reach. I mean, Jesus is hiding. You know, in in the the sacraments, he's in the scriptures, all over. But if you really wanted to break through to a really hard kid, if you could get them on some sort of a mission trip where they were away from their phone and in contact with Christ hiding in the poor, that would usually do it. Denver has a nice program called Christ in the City that I've taken a group of kids up to. And uh, it's a week-long engagement to interact with those on the street. And I love it. I, I, I like to watch the the response of the kids from day one through day five and how they change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's totally transformative. Yeah. On this podcast, you know, we're we're all in uh, with Archbishop Lucas's grand goal, right? That every parish would rediscover its missionary identity and become a missional community. Mm. Talk about the service to the poor and how that's affected your community of faith, your parish. Uh, good question. Um, uh, about four years or so ago, I was part of a group, the first group that launched what's called Christ Renews His Parish, or we call it CHIRP. Uh, yeah. And St. Francis of a C, uh, CC Church from West Des Moines, Iowa came over here and launched it for us. 
and it wasn't an, and funny thing is I had been doing this for a, a long time and my wife as well. And we never shared it with anybody in the parish. It was something we did on our own. We did after hours and on the weekend, we kept our head down. We just kind of did our thing. And it wasn't until I actually had to give a witness. I've never had to do anything like that mm. as part of the formation that I shared uh, some work we were doing. And I could not believe a group of men, w- women typically are much more compassionate sometimes, if you will, Mm -hmm. but a group of men who were enamored by this and wanted to be a part of it. I I could tell the way that they not only leaned forward, but listened intently, but they wanted to be a part of it and the way they stopped me. And next thing I know, and this is probably actually 2016 now I think about it, but next thing I know, they've just got some wonderful ideas on how we can take this and make it even better. And they did. Mm. Uh, right now, we probably have 75 to 100 volunteers on a given month. 75 to 100 volunteers a month. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. At least, yeah, at least half of them are St. Pat's and the rest are, you know, from the area. So a lot from St. Wenceslaus, uh, St. John Vianney. Um, oh, St. Patrick's Elkhorn does a fabulous amount with us. Uh, you know, 20, 30 people every month, you know, comes out of their group. St. Charles, a lot of, a lot of different parishes have, have joined in and, and it's not a Catholic group at all. It, it is very much Christian group. You know, uh-huh. we don't ask you to check a box when you, but, but it's amazing how many people have gotten involved and they have made, they have made this so much better than we ever could have had it. I got to tell you, like Bill mm-hmm. and Celeste Balmer have taken our street ministry and raised it to an art form beyond where Cheryl and I ever could have done it. You, you get the Dwayne Benishes and the Bruce Jeffries of the world and, and everybody else there. And all of a sudden they are organizing groups that are picking up furniture for us so that I don't have to, after I get off work and we have other groups that are loading a truck and someone else found, but point is, is they just made it better. They, they got involved and, and then they began to rally around it and they would huddle after we were done on a weekend mm-hmm. and they all wanted to share the story what they just learned from an individual they talked with, yeah. you know? And so, so we began sharing this and pretty soon it just took off and, you know, living way out in the Gretna area, sometimes, you know, we're not like, uh, you know, some parishes have kind of an identity and for a while, maybe we didn't have one. I think this kind of became our identity after a while. Mm-hmm. And so much so that, gosh, there's just so many people involved in it from the from the parish that, uh, and, and kids and families, it's not just an adult thing at all. And, gosh, that's awesome. and I absolutely love the way that the parishes come around it. And Father Mike Rui at the time was the pastor when we started this thing, and he just embraced it wholeheartedly. And this has just become a wonderful thing. And I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for St. Patrick's and com- coming in behind it to make it what it is today, we would still be helping four or five people a weekend, uh, mm-hmm. you know, through food and clothing and tent versus, you know, we're doing 400 people a month now. Holy cow, 400 people a month. Dave, talk a little bit just about talk about the impact and the, the growth over the years. Mm. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause it's, that's astounding 400 people a month. Yeah. Yeah. So I would tell you that, um, you know, when we first started, Cheryl and I, um, we were helping one individual move into an apartment every six weeks. And it took us that long to find furniture. Mm-hmm. We'd rent a U-Haul truck and we'd do that. And we're now doing eight people a week as an example, wow. eight people a week, 400 people uh, a year into an apartment. Um, we're uh, this weekend. We'll be working on number seventeen hundred and twelve. Is the apartments we've done? Wow, that we've set up full, fully furnished. So that's seventeen hundred couches, seventeen hundred beds, seventeen hundred dressers, everything. You know, but uh, how's your back? Is there? I feel like there's a chiropractic endorsement coming here. Yeah, no, there is. But the, the you know the help makes it all all bearable. You know, we've we have a Facebook group. We're pretty uh, we're pretty slim on finances. We don't we don't really do that. So. 
we don't spend a lot of money. So we've got a Facebook group because it's free, but there's 6,100 members, 6,000 members in the community that are members of our Facebook group called Lisa, my brethren. And awesome. what's a beautiful thing is I could put a, I could put a request out there and say, and I have a need. I have somebody who has a need for something. Does anybody have this? And in 10 minutes, my prayer has been answered. Oh. I, I'm not kidding. I can never go more than 30 minutes and we have what we need always. This is just a fabulous group. We, uh, we've given 1,651 bicycles. I keep counting them. 1,651 bicycles out. Um, That's awesome. With 13,000 people we've fed over the last just four months alone since I started keeping track of those 11,000 of them with clothing. Um, uh, we're coming up on 10,000 blessing bags. Uh, giving out 2,100 tents. Where do where do a lot of the, the physical resources, I'm thinking the bicycles, the tents, where do those come from? Do you have like a little requisition team that's going around the city collecting? No, we're, it's 100% word of mouth. Uh, we have the Facebook group and people join and they, it's kind of like one of your buy, sell, trade groups, except you're not mm -hmm. buying and you're not selling. You're, you're basically, people join and they post it and they say, I have a dresser. And we you can either drop it off to us at our storage unit or we pick it up. And, uh, and it all, a hundred percent of it is, is donated. It's all donated goods. Very few things other than underwear and socks are new. Um, for the most part, everything's donated, uh, donated use. And that's great. It's absolutely yeah. fine. It's, uh, I, I, sometimes I, I think of us as being a bridge, if you will, between those that have, and those that need, and sometimes yeah. those that have don't know how to get to there. And so we're kind of that conduit yeah. sometimes, yeah. but the reality is, is all the treasures that we've got are really somebody else's treasures. You know, they're just entrusting us and we just get into the hands of those that need it. Wow. Dave, talk a little bit about the effect. You said 1,700 that have gotten into apartments and you kind of talked about the progression from like food to a sleeping bag, to a bicycle, to an apartment. Talk about some of those that you've been in relationship with, like for a long time now, right? You know, like the first couple hundred. How are they doing? I can tell you about their very first one. Well, the first, so along with Kelly was a, was another gentleman named Dan and I'm at winter night watch probably 2012 or so. And I'm sitting down there on park in Leavenworth and I'm heads down and I'm, I've got a long line of people there waiting for food and, and people are walking from all different directions. So they're all waiting to get in line and I don't think anything of it. And this shiny red car pulls up right next to our vehicle and gets out and I kind of I'm looking down and this guy walks to the end of the line and you know my first thought I'm ashamed to say is you know kind of judging why does somebody with a car like that need a free meal you know you know I'm thinking that to myself and I, I should be doing that but he gets up to the front of the line and I turn and I go to hand him a bag and I look at him and I just have that smile he doesn't want the food he's been driving around for weeks looking for us he knew we were around somewhere and um, it was Dan he and Kelly he just wanted to he just wanted to say Years later, things are still going good. Full-time work. They're both clean. They're both sober. Wow. They, they can afford a new car now. Um, they've moved. Everything's good. And he gave me one of those hugs that are like, um, you know, two friends from college who haven't seen each other in 20 years. And you kind of come across each other and, and you pick up right where you left off, you know, and it was one of those, those hugs that just mean more than nearly everything. And uh, he didn't want anything else other than just to say life is good and thanks. And I meant a lot. Um, yeah. You know, likewise, I'll tell you, there's another gentleman who's living along the riverfront in Council Bluffs, and he was addicted. He had an addiction. He had a bad addiction. And sometimes he, he was friendly, and sometimes he was under, uh, under the influence and not so friendly. But we just kept dropping off blessing bags and talking and trying to get him there. And, and after a while, I kind of lost track of him because he moved away. You know, he wasn't mm -hmm. there anymore. And um, 
about four or five years ago, he showed up at one of our breakfasts. He came in and I looked at him and I just smiled. Like I haven't seen him forever. Well, he's got a wife and a little baby in tow. Mm. And uh, he decided to clean up. You know, all of this kind of gave him hope, he said. He decided to clean up. He said, I've got full-time work. He said, I'm working full-time. He says, in fact, I'm working six days a week. He says, I've got a family and I've got a baby. And by the way, he joins us every single month that we do a cookout. We do a cookout outside in Council Bluffs for those living outside. Mm -hmm. He joins us every single month. And he's probably one of our greatest evangelists to say, if I could do it, you could do it too. That's awesome. Dave, as you're talking there, I, I, I just can't help but think that like the gospel works. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, that like love works. I, I remember again, when I was down in Mexico City, it didn't happen uh, often, but as we were working with the poor, we were accosted by yeah. some yeah. people who are like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't give them yeah. food. They'll just stay. And it was this really interesting phenomenon. It was almost like this out-of-body experience. And I remember thinking to myself, this is not a comfortable life for mm. them. This is not like... You, know, you don't say, and particularly these kids, most of them, what was what was shocking to me was they actually knew where home was. But the reason they were on the streets is the streets were safer than their home lives. And I remember thinking, it's like, you know, it's not like if we could just make the poor and being homeless a little bit less comfortable, then people would say, man, I'm not going to stay here. You're verifying that like compassion and love and timely persistence in helping people changes lives. Like it really changes lives. It is great to hear you say that. I, um, I, I, I'm totally aligned with exactly what you're saying there. I, I and by the way, my, my, you know, I, I have to reflect on a little bit more, I think, but much like you say, uh, the leper changed St. Francis. I would tell you that I, I'm hoping I'm a better person as a result of this because of the way they've Change the way that I respond to my family sometimes and the way I yeah. pray as a result. And, you know, the things I pray for now don't really include me anymore. Like they used mm-hmm. to many years ago, you know, I'm, I'm not the center of my prayers any longer. Um, so hopefully I become a little bit better of a person myself. Yeah. Dave, just as we start to kind of close out here, I just want to get just some, some practical things. So many of our yeah. listeners, they, you know, they have ministries of their own that they volunteer for, that they help lead just kind of taking a little bit like underneath the hood there. How do you find and invite people into the work? Quite frankly, they find us. Uh, word of mouth. Um, we don't post anything. We have no advertisement other than Facebook group. That's all we do. Now, I will tell you that there are a number of youth leaders that encourage an individual if they're looking for service hours to reach out to us. So one, it starts that way. And because, a, you know, a 16 year old gets involved pretty soon, their parents begin asking, who is that? What are you working with? You know, and they kind of spread <laughs> sure. it through their family. We get Eagle Scouts, uh, you know, a lot of them will do that. But uh, a lot of it is just, you know, I'll put a post out there and I'll say, we're getting ready to go to Council Bluffs. We have our uh, big lunch coming up this weekend. We could use 20 volunteers and you know, within an hour, we're, we're booked, we have it. And so wow. when I tell you the, the strength of this, this group is because of the beauty of uh, the Omaha community, Omaha Council Bluffs community, excuse me, I, it really is. I'm uh, totally amazed and impressed and by everybody and how they join in. So we, we get volunteers, some of them are every single month. And some of them we have, we have volunteers that are every single week. Wow. And they've just, they've, they've adopted something. And by the way, yeah. and that's great. We kind of give it and say, would you like to run with this, make it better? Yeah. And they do. And they make it far better than we ever could have by ourselves. Tell us a little bit more about that, because I'm getting a picture here. There's a lot of different roles. There's a lot of moving pieces mm. that, are, that are working together. Yeah. How do you get 
how do you get people into the right roles? We post a list of areas of volunteering and most people just sign up for what interests them. We, you know, when somebody doesn't okay. come to us and say, I'm interested in volunteering and we say this is where we need you. We don't do it that way. We do it the other way. And that is, these are all the areas we have a need for what interests you. And so they join us that way. Um, I will tell okay. you that uh, the, the things we do, uh, you know, throughout the week, we have a retired group of gentlemen who uh, from church, they've all retired and they get together and they take our, we have these old used decommissioned Penske trucks, but they're nice, you know, for the area they're, they do just fine. And they yeah. drive around, they pick up things for us. So we don't have to, so they pick them up. And then as a group talk about the fellowship, they all get together and they have lunch together. They once in a while they go golfing together, but they, they form their own little group. And it's just wonderful. We have another group that takes care of our storage units and sorts and organizes. We have people that just does kitchenware and other people that just do bedding and other people that just do blessing bags and other people that just do clothing and other ones that just do food. So we have so many different pockets, if you will. And when I say 75 to 100, you know, every month, that's not an exaggeration. In fact, you can in the summertime, it's much more than that, much more than that. Uh, in the wintertime, it's 75 to 100 or so. Uh, but uh, people just plug into where they want. Sometimes they're there once. And other times, I got this guy, his his son, Alex from Scott used to, or he was coming down there because he was doing some hours. Dad joined him mm -hmm. one day, like the third time out there. And next thing you know, he's loving it so much. Son's already fulfilled his hours. He's done. And Richard continues to come down every week and join us. That's great. And, yeah. you know, you, you said that I, it was a little subtle. I want to make sure people know the way you connect people into the ministry and get them in the right roles is you just make your needs known. I, I think, and I think that's key because not every, sometimes we're painfully aware of a need we have, but we don't share it and we don't give people the opportunity to come along and say, Hey, I love doing that. I could totally help there. No, and you're spot on. There are some that involve moving furniture and that may not be appropriate for others. There's others that just evolve involve, you know, scrambling eggs and helping us get ready for, and there are people that love doing that Yeah, and they plug into what makes sense for them. And we'll welcome and appreciate everybody wherever they fit in. So Dave, as we close here, we've got two more very practical questions here. Okay. Number one, what is in a blessing bag? Yeah. And then number two, what would you say to somebody who's listening who wants to just get started, right? They, they, they feel this call, but they don't know where to begin. What would you say to them? Well, okay. So the, the first question, blessing bag for us is typically a one gallon Ziploc baggie. Hmm. And in there, we stuff it with as much as we can hand out. So it is typically travel size, uh, toothpaste, deodorant, and a Bic razor for sure. Uh, toothpaste, um, those kind of things. You, you be, believe it or not, there's not a lot of uh, deodorant being handed out. So that's welcome and re, you know uh, yeah. by uh, by those. It's usually a change of underwear. It's usually a pair of socks. It's a small eight ounce uh, bottle of water. It's soft granola. And the reason it's soft is a lot of people outside have teeth problem. Yeah. So you got to make something. You can't give them an apple. Yeah. You know, because they just can't bite into it. You got to give them something that works for them. And but 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 we put things in there and we we keep them in our vehicles. And when we pull up to a corner and somebody's needing something, we don't hand them the dollar. We hand them the blessing bag. Mm -hmm. Or or if somebody's outside and they join us for lunch and uh, and they're living outside, we give these blessing bags out to all of them. You know, take them. You know, we want you to. So so that's the first part. That's what those are. The second part is. How do you get started? I would tell you the first thing is make yourself up about 10 blessing bags, mm -hmm. leave them in your vehicle, 
when you go to and you see somebody, have one with you when you're walking, especially if you live in the downtown area. You're walking or you see somebody, you pull yeah. up next to a corner and hand it to them and say, my name is Dave and say, yeah. what's your name? And, yes. and the reason I say that is everybody has a tendency to look away from the, the homeless. Nobody wants to engage. Ask them their first name. And then what makes a real difference when you see them a couple of days later, call them out by their name. Mm-hmm. Joey, great to see you again. How are you doing? It means something to them. They're, they're not invisible. Um, and, and you'd be surprised. That simple yeah. piece will pull you in. It's an easy way to do it. It's non-threatening. It's safe. You're just simply giving somebody a blessing bag and you're saying, my name is Dave. You don't have to give them the whole thing. You just say, my name's Dave. Dave, thank you. That's that's so fantastic. Dave, where where do people go? Tell us about that Facebook group if they want to they wanna connect and they want to know more about Least of My Brethren. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you do a search for Least of My Brethren and you can put Omaha in because there are a few Least of My Brothers, but they're different kind of groups in the different countries. But Least of My Brethren, not brothers, so Least of My Brethren and put in Omaha and you just join the group. And you don't have to do anything. At that point, you just monitor. You'll just see the stories we post. And every so often you'll see us, uh, we will say we have a need for something. And we'll post it out there. And if you happen to have it, just respond back. That's all it takes is some people just simply join and look and others say, I think I'm going to join one of their you know, breakfasts or lunches. And we get started that way. And then next thing you know, they get pulled in more. And that's okay, too. Um, so anyway, anyway works. But I, uh, I tell you, that's the easiest way to do it. Thank you. That's, that's fantastic. Dave, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks. This has been, I mean, our time has gone so fast. It's been such a great conversation. Well, it's been my pleasure. I, uh, I enjoy talking when somebody wants to listen and talk about these kind of things because not a lot of people do. Yeah. No, I, I love it. Uh, everybody, if you have enjoyed our conversation today, and I know you have, share this out with someone. Uh, go join the Facebook group. Uh, just take that first little step. Go right, go to the uh, grocery store aisle and get a bunch of little little bitty deodorants, uh, travel deodorants, and and some baggies. Uh, you will not be uh, sorry that you did. Yeah. Again, Dave, thanks for being with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I appreciate all of it.